Sports Radio 560 WQAM presents the best of Neil. That's right, the tapes are back. Don't start calling. No one will answer. Don't call the front desk. They don't want to hear from you either. As a matter of fact, even when Neil or George get back on the air, don't bother calling. So we're not giving out the phone numbers or the facts. Don't call to tell us some asshole just cut you off in traffic. You probably deserved it. Just sit back, relax, and listen to the best of Neil. And if you don't like it, tell it to W. Man. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it is our privilege to bring you at this time an eyewitness report of the first international trepidation contest. We are speaking to you from the ringside of the great Maple Leaf Auditorium, which is packed to the rafters with spectators, eager and curious. For the benefit of my listeners who are not acquainted with the facts relating to this event, it might be well to describe the two contestants. Lord Windesmere from uh, Wapping Foghole in Devonshire is, of course, the champion of the British Empire. The challenger is Paul Boomer, native son of Australia, who, I understand, worked his way to Canada in the crew of an ocean freighter carrying a load of Melbourne cabbage, upon which... Uh, so it is stated, Boomer trains exclusively. Uh, uh, I see now there's a bit of a flurry around Lord Windesmere's entrance. And yes, here he comes, Lord Windesmere. I'll see, I'll see if I can get him to come to the microphone and say a few words. Joe! So we'll see if we can get his, get his lordship to come over here for a minute. Uh, tell him it's for the radio. Okay, I'll get him for you. Uh, thanks. Well, uh, Lord Windesmere appears to be in good spirits. He's smiling and catting. Thrown about him is a beautiful silk dressing gown of... Purple velvet upon which is worked, I imagine, to be the, the coat of arms of the House of Windersmere. It's a beautiful thing. A good boy, Joe. Uh, in just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're going to have his lordship himself come to the microphone and say a few words. Right over here, please. Right over here. Yeah, right here. Yes. Yes, folks, here he is. Right in the microphone, the champion himself, Lord Windersmere. Uh, Your Highness, uh, how did you come to take an interest in this uh, unusual art? Well, I suppose you could say it all... Started over Lady Windersmere's fan. I see. Yes, I noticed she was constantly waving this fan in front of her face, so I asked her why did you she did it. And so she retorted that if I insisted on constantly crepitating, she had to fan away in pure self-defense, you see. So uh, my friends were drawn into the controversy and persuaded me to capitalize on my proficiency and sort of... Uh, Sort of going for it and all that. Uh, that's all. Thank you very much, Your Majesty. Thank you, and good luck to you. That was Lord Windersmere, a champion crepitator of the British... Oh, and here's a challenger. Here's Paul Boomer from Australia. Paul, over here, please. Please, ask Mr. Boomer to come over here, please. The radio. We want to speak on the radio. Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. I think we'll have Paul Boomer for you right away. Yes, here he comes. His attendant has just pointed us out. How did Paul... How... <laughs> he just waves his hand in greeting and starts walking over to the microphone. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is Mr. Paul Boomer. Uh, will you say hello to our audience, Mr. Boomer? Hello, Canada! Uh, now tell me, sir, when did you first realize that you were proficient enough to take a, uh, a shot at the uh, Empire Championship? Well, ever since I was a little nipper, I liked to fart. I remember I used to make my mother and father laugh their bleeding heads off when I used to let one go in church during the announcement of the ladies' aid. Excuse me, Mr. Boomer, on the radio, we call it, uh, crepitating. Now, look here, copper. What I always says is, a fart's a fart, whether you raise up on one cheek and sneak, or whether you give it a full blast like I do. Very well. As long as the CBC is no objection. <laughs> I personally find the four-letter word much easier to say and uh, more descriptive than the longer and more academic uh, crepitating. Thank you. And I would like to say... Oh, and...
And there's the bell. Thank you, Mr. Boomer. And good luck. Paul Boomer hurries off to the center of the arena to meet the champion and to receive instructions. Now the house lights are dimming, and the great flood of high-powered electric lights cascade down onto the center of this great arena where stands, in simple eloquence, a departing post. The departing post is about four feet high and is decorated with red, white, and blue bunting up to about nine inches from the top. The bare top section is worn smooth by the grip of many hands in previous contests. And now it appears that Paul Boomer is to be the first at the post. And that, I believe, is customary for the challenger to make the first effort. Yes, Paul Boomer takes off his dressing gown and drives to the farting post. He grips it firmly around the top and flexes his knees. The signal to commence has not yet been given, so we may assume that these are just preliminaries. I think I have time to describe Mr. Boomer's outfit. He's stripped from the waist up and wears a tight-fitting trunks of powder blue trimmed with scarlet. These trunks are similar to those worn by wrestlers with one important difference. (coughs) There's a hole about six inches in in diameter removed from the seat. This, of course, has been done for obvious reasons. This symmetrical aperture is called the fenêtre de brise, literally translated meaning the zephyr window. Mr. Boomer's fenêtre de brise has a scarlet trim around its perimeter, giving a very provocative air to this genial Australian backside. Oh, and there goes the signal to commence. You might have heard it over the microphone, a, a blast on the medieval Bronx Hussar Spiegel, the traditional woodwind instrument associated with this sport for centuries. And now a hush falls on the vast, the vast throng as Boomer walks slowly, deliberately to the parting post. He's exuding confidence and he gives one last all-encompassing grin to the tense audience as he grips the farting post between a pair of hands that look as though they could splinter the post. Now he flexes his knees, much in the manner of a boxer. He seems to be concentrating on the very top of the farting post. You can hear a pin drop, and here it comes. Oh, a beauty, a beauty. I think it was a triple flutter blast. Yes, that's what the judge signals. A triple flutter blast. That gives him 25 points right off the bat. And and another, another of the same, and another 25 points. That's... Followed by one, uh, no, two, uh, I beg your pardon, three fuzzy farts in rapid succession. It's amazing how this man can change pace and style of offering by a slight, simple shifting of his buttock area. He's still gripping the post in complete concentration. Boomer now has a score of uh, uh, 65, those last three fuzzy farts at five points apiece, adding 15 to his previous score. And now here's something coming. A flooper, a flooper, a perfectly executed flooper. What's that? I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that was a follow-up flooper, a follow-up flooper. The second time in the history of this sport that a follow-up flooper has been achieved in open competition. The only other time, I believe, was during the World Series held in Europe in 1783. During the course of this series, uh, Francois Fouffe, the famous French father, after leaving uh, a follow-up flooper, defeated Sandy McWind, his Scottish opponent, by only one bloop and then dropped dead. As you know, since then, in honor of Monsieur Fouffe, the bloop had been dropped from open competition. And now the score is 105 for Boomer. Flooper, of course, counts 10 points. But a follow-up flooper, a very difficult maneuver, gives 40 points. Well, this certainly has been a whirlwind session. I think that Paul Boomer is about played out, or blown out, as they say. Uh-huh. What am I saying? Uh-huh. And he's not through yet, apparently. Wait a minute, here comes uh-huh. a, a three. Oh, a little three. Worth only two points and very dangerous. Uh, and another, and, and another three. Well, not bad. Well, well he's serving for the other <laughs> Well, he's certainly putting up a fighting finish. Four threeps, a very hazardous, uh, very hazardous fight because of the danger of plotching. 
but giving him eight, a very valuable point. And there he throws up his hands. He throws up his hands as a signal that he's finished. And the crowd gives him a tremendous ovation. He's, he's sitting down, looking a little pale, a little wan perhaps, but smiling, smiling happily at the crowd. This man has a definite charm about him that has endeared him to all except the most rabid Windesmere fans. And uh, here's his result. Wait a minute. Oh, Boomer! One hundred and twenty-three points! Did you hear that? Paul Boomer, 123 points, a world's record. Beating Lord Windersmith's previous world mark of 119 by four points. Paul Boomer, this moment, is the world's champion. But for how long, we don't know, because Lord Windersmith might take it right back again. And here's his lordship now walking up to the post, apparently not in the least disconcerted by the brilliant performance of the challenger. He's outfitted a little differently from Paul Boomer. He has purple tights, full-length tights, and around the finesse de breeze, you remember the hole cut out from the center of his seat, around this there's a fringe of little gold tassels about four inches long. This, no doubt, is some decoration affected by... The... Just a moment. There seems to be some sort of a dispute here. Paul Boomer and his seconds are on their feet and seem to be arguing with the judges and, and pointing to the fringe on their champion's posterior. Oh, I see. I see Paul Boomer is claiming that the fringe might add a whistle or some other sound to Lord Windersmith's efforts and so increase their value. And after all, in a closely fought contest like this, every little advantage must be jealously watched. The judges appear to be agreeing with Paul Boomer... And they direct the champion to remove the fringe. He doesn't like the decision very much. And the crowd is getting... The crowd's getting resentful. They think he should be a better sport about it. And I agree with him. Oh, he seems to have decided that he's got to give in. And he rips off the fringe and flings it to the ground. Then he walks over to where Boomer is sitting. He turns his back, puts his hands on his hips and... Oh! Oh, he leaves a three right in Paul Boomer's face. The crowd get a... A kick out of this, as you know, a three is a very low scorer, only two points, but to throw one away just in a gesture of defiance demonstrates the spirit of dash and recklessness which has made the Englishman the champion that he is. He's smiling disdainfully now as he returns to the center of the arena. He nods to the judge, to Joe, he's ready, and he... Hello, what's this? He's not going to use the farting post. Lord Windesmere, the champion, in a final gesture of contempt, scorns the use of the farting post. Well, this is developing into a bit of a grudge contest. He has his hands on his hips, feet apart, knees slightly bent, and ah! a sizzler. His first attempt ah! is a, and another one, two in a row, and another one, a third. Three sizzlers in a row, a tremendous effort, 60 points in his first 30 seconds. This one. And one, two, three, four, four fuzzes, four fragrant fuzzes in rapid succession. It's a pleasure to see the ease and comfort with which his lordship leaves his father. Perfect technique. And now his score is 80 points. 80 points in the first 30 seconds of the post. Now he's getting ready again. Hands on hips. A little bit red in the face as he strains to... Oh. Something there. Wait a minute. Something's wrong. His attendants run into him. He's in some kind of distress. I see. Yes, the judge's signal. It was a plotcher. Oh, hard luck, your lordship, the hard luck. The champion left a very bad plotcher and will be penalized 15 points. That puts him back to 65 points, 59 short of the 124 he needs to retain his championship. He's all set again and seems to be straining a little more cautiously. And here is... Ah! A thunder break. Oh, a 
beautiful bit of wind-breaking virtuosity, a most difficult, a most difficult part to perform without clutching. This man has wonderful control, and the crowd are really warming up to him. That last, that, that funders break counts 30 points, and it takes Lord Windersmere up to 95 points. It's getting very tense now, and here it is. Here is uh, the next one. Uh, uh, a trail blow, a trail blow. Ten points. Uh, Followed by a resounding single flutter blast. I think that is. Wait. Yes, the judges uh, proclaim that to be a uh, single flutter blast. A lovely, a lovely change of pace there. And now the excitement is going unbearable as the champion uh, takes a step away from the post. And his score is 120. Just three points short of the Paul Boomer mark. Just three points short. If he gets one, one more fuzzy or two small freaks, it's all over for the shouting. And the challenger will have to return to Australia with his shattered hopes. I think everyone's heart aches for Paul Boomer. He's really a great guy. But uh, Windy Smith steps up to the post again and looks very confident as he gets ready for the killing. And here it comes. Uh, uh, a three. A three. That's two more points. A little small three was all it was. Two points. And now it's practically over. Just one more of those little freaks, those... Little two-point freaks in the contest will be over. It seems as though his lordship was deliberately tormenting Boomer by dallying. But Boomer's smiling. It's a forced smile, but he's trying hard. He's sitting there, trying hard to take it like the grand sportsman that he is. But you can see defeat standing ready to take away his dreams at almost any instant. And now Lord Windersmith steps forward, and hello. Hello, he's going to use the farthing post as final evidence seems. Flexes his knees. It looks as though he's going to try for a high-scoring effort for a whirlwind finish. Perhaps another Sisler. And now he's trying very hard. The veins are, are starting out on his forehead, and even the trickle of perspiration venturing down his temple seems to hesitate, so that this mighty last effort should have undivided attention. Now, the suggestion of a smile from the champion. He seems to have decided just what treatment is going to give this final bid. I see the audience almost to a man is on its feet, breathless and tense. He closes his eyes. A look of pure ecstasy on his face. Oh! Oh, he sh! The champion is disqualified! Well, ladies and gentlemen, as a special service feature, we have brought you direct from the ringside of the Maple Leaf Auditorium a blow-by-blow description of the first trepidation contest held under international auspices. This broadcast replaced midweek meditations usually ahead of the time. Your narrator, Sidney S. Brown. Now back to the best of meal on 560 QAM. Here's your brand, honey. Well, again, it tastes so crappy. You know, I'd give my immortal soul for a brand that tastes good. I heard that. Beelzebub, Lord of the Underworld, what are you doing here? I heard you're not eating your fiber, Bob. Uh, perhaps you'd like to try a new Beelzebran. Oh, what's so great about Beelzebran? Well, one bowl of Beelzebran has all the fiber you'll need to keep regular. But the best part is, it tastes great. Wow. Besides... If you don't eat your fiber, your bowels will clog with rotting meat, and your intestines will fill with cancerous tumors, and blood shall spurt from your anus. Okay, okay, I get the points, so I'll eat my brain. There's a good fellow. Thanks, oh desolate one. <laughs> no problem. Now, about your immortal soul, Bob. 
Beelzebub. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Beelzebran. Because good health shouldn't cost you your soul. They're smoking it out in the Everglades. Voices. Every time you turn around, there's another one coming straight for you. Your mom, your girlfriend, your buddies, right? And somehow your voice, the one that really matters, gets buried. But man, you can't let it stay silent. And that's why the Air Force could be the place for you. You'll earn a good salary, learn from 125 job skills, and serve your country. Well, that's, that's the right... <laughs> well, it's Roy Foster's fault, okay? What was that about? He came in here and he said, uh, we're all red in the face. Well, I guess he wasn't red in the face. It's kind of hard for Roy Foster to be red in the face. Well, you know when a black guy gets red in the face? You don't? But at any rate, he like uh, looked embarrassed, and he said to me, Oh, uh, that's uh, you should be talking about my personal stuff on here. Like I said, what personal stuff? You're? He said, Oh, my plumbing problem. So we take it back. Roy Foster, Roy Foster, no, he didn't care about the other thing. You keep thinking it's about that stuff with that uh, sales broad. No, he doesn't care about that. Everybody knows that. No, he's concerned that people will like uh, somehow this great ex-Dolphin player, whom we all admired when he played, although he's really badly out of shape and fat now, and we understand why he tried the Atkins diet, because he's big as a house. But at any rate, he did not shat blood. I just made that up. Not. Uh, we talked about my uh, incident on the year before, remember? What, you shat blood? Right. And the, all these people were calling me, and do the doctor on the beach was calling me. Yeah. Cause what, was... But you're not uptight and sensitive, and when you blush, sure, we can see. So we know when you're uh, offended. But when Roy blushes, we can't see it. So that echoes to show you one more good reason not to be black. Because if you're going to be sensitive and start blushing about stuff, how the hell are we supposed to be knowing it, huh? I don't be knowing it. God damn it. So Roy did not uh, crap black or, or, or green, whatever it was, purple, red, whatever color it was. Oh, it was purple. Okay, whatever. Just uh, go upstairs and do what's your name and get out of here, Roy. Go sell some spots. Here's Deerfield. Hello. Neil. Yes, sir. How are you? Today? Great. Never been better. Listen, I, I just uh, stepped into the house for a minute and flipped the TV on. You should hear Pat Robertson praying for Carla Faye Tucker. So well, too late now. Hey, the one they're going to fry. You know, why should it be any different for the men than it is for the women? Yeah. You know, you stick an axe through someone, they're going to fry you. It has nothing to do with men or women. It has to do with that she's born again, sir. Don't you understand it? She's a born-again Christian now, and now that she's changed. So what, maybe O.J. will, uh, you know, see the light. Yeah, well, that's the thing. She, oh, she's all ready to go meet her maker. Good. I wish I could pull the switchers or flip it for her. Or give her the needle. Stick it to her. Well, yeah. Listen, have a great day, pal. You too, Neil. See you around, eh? Everywhere you go, it's the same old crap. Bunch of yentas. See, it goes to show you why we have no spots on most of the day on this station, because most of the people who are supposed to be selling and or uh, coordinating those kind of activities are busy pop, 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 doing their yenta routine. So George tells me during the last break that he's had several calls from upstairs, upstairs meaning the uh, power structure of this joint, where all the yentas sit around all day, finger-diddling uh, each other. Or themselves, or both as the case may be. We're trying to get the stains off their clothing. And uh, people want to know, are, are you okay down there? Is there anything going on? Because Joe Costello is in here today, who of course is usually back at the other joint, getting emphysema from what's in the building. And he's just sitting here observing today in case, of course, since he's the backup, if we can say that, in case George is going to be out sick. Which being here today, Joe, means uh, count on it in the next couple of weeks. Trust me, he's already planning uh, the days. But, I mean, doesn't that show you how pathetic and paranoid you assholes? And George says to me, oh, am I getting fired right now? Yeah, because he just bought a house. That would be a good time to fire his ass. Although at least Joe is circumcised, I'll say that. That was only an accident that I just dropped my cigar. <laughs> it wasn't lit, was it? No, no. I, if I'm brushing down there, it's only because it's cigar ash. Let's go to a mobile in West Palm Beach. Hello. Hey, what's up, Neil? How, you, how doing? you doing, sir? Uh, I got a couple quick questions for you and a couple comments. Okay. Um. Before, I never heard your show before you came over to QAM, and I uh, basically 
listened to you a few times at an open mind. Um, I think your insight on hockey is is excellent. I think you know a lot about the game, and I, I appreciate some of the things I, I hear on, in your comments about it. Yes, sir. But um, but as far as uh, your other comments, I mean, I'd rather you stick to sports. I don't I don't understand ah, why. Ah, you... you'd rather I stick to sports. Well, let me say this to you, sir. Again, I don't do a sports show. I don't do a hockey show. I don't do a sports show. I do the highest rated show in this market for the last twenty years, the Neil Rogers Show, and will continue doing so. Don't hang up on me. I don't I'm not hanging up on you, but I will say this: I don't take direction from listeners especially people who don't even know what my show is about. Okay, well, like I said, I came on board with an open mind. Okay? Right. But I mean, I've been, on the air, I've been on the air now here for like five weeks, and it would seem to me that if the only part that you like hearing is the hockey stuff, which represents about 5% or uh, most of my show, that you would have been long gone by now. No, 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 I know. That's, I tune in once in a blue moon because I'm in my car a lot. I'm in sales. Yeah. So uh, I do. When I hear hockey, I keep you on. Otherwise, you know, I think you're an ignorant jackass. Yeah. And... uh you know, I think your daily views on daily life, a lot of them are misconstrued, and you just misconstrued. Don't... You know what that means, sir? You know what yes, that word means? Misconstrued. It's you mis mis you misguided. Misguided. Misconstrued would be misunderstood. You know what that you means? You misunderstand a lot of things. And that's no, my no. Point. You, when you, you said know? the views would be misconstrued, that means that whoever would be hearing them would misunderstand them. No, no, no. Perhaps that's the problem. No, I think you don't get it. <laughs> no, you don't get it. Neil, stick to hockey, buddy. Goodbye. Hey, stick it up your ass, buddy. Goodbye. See, there's another guy that can't handle it. Another one of those real nervous Nellies. Probably in the closet. Now, back to the best of Neil on 560 QAM. So, uh, where's the uh, Davy Gravy line? Rectum. I took a call for the Ebonics. They say the future be bright for me. Now I can't get no job. Cause I don't got no literacy. Eyes talking like an old Negro. Ebonics taught me how this way. Now I can't do nothing. But my heritage say that's okay. Change my name to Shufro. Alright. Gotta do Santa Coda in a Cadillac. I remember when I was dealing all the white man's cars hanging outside the Belvedere bar, crying the blues about poverty. White devils got no job for me, and I, I thought Ebonics would give my life a change. Now I, I got to go and sell more crack cocaine, crack cocaine, crack cocaine, crack cocaine, crack cocaine, crack cocaine, crack cocaine. Crackle King, Crackle King. Lordy, what a boring song. Ebonics makes me sound funny. Got nothing to do with literacy. Now I got to make more money. Labor food sounds good to me. I got plenty of nothing. Ebonics ain't getting me anywhere. Maybe I'll mug an old white bitch, steal a purse and pull her hair. Then I'm gonna take the money, buy a stereo and a fridge there. I remember when I was stealing all the white man's cars, hanging outside the Belvedere bar, crying the blues about poverty. White devils got no job for me, and I. I Thought Ebonics would give my life a change now. Got to go and sell more crack cocaine. Crack cocaine, crack cocaine, crack cocaine, 
crack cocaine, crack cocaine, crack cocaine. I think we really struck on a raw nerve here today, if you ask me. I think we finally got into a topic that we should have been talking about years ago, long ago, if we only would have realized we had 600,000 Jamaicans just living here in the city of Miami alone. And two million, what is it, two and a half million Jamaicans in Dayton Broward put together, and oh, that includes Palm Beach? Because in this article, it's interesting, it says, Brazil's fans absent. Promoters' hopes of breaking a South Florida soccer attendance record fell short, conspicuous by their absence in Tuesday's crowd of 43,754, were Brazilian fans who in recent years have filled the Orange Bowl, blah, 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 blah. but perhaps only 10% of Tuesday's crowd was pounding samba drums and wearing the blue, green, and yellow national colors of Brazil. So that means there were like 4,000 Brazil and 40,000 Jamaicans in that uh, Orange Bowl last night. Yeah, man. 40,000 Jamaicans? And where are the Jamaicans if they really live here, if they're not illegal aliens or came down from Alabama or wherever they're hanging out? I mean, uh, where the hell do they live? Where are these people? Have they infiltrated us very quietly? Are they busy selling weed on street corners in Little Havana? They're in Miami, the city of. And in the city uh, of Miami, selling jerk pork and jerk chicken. Is that Haitian? That's Jamaican. Yeah. Jerk. So Haitians don't jerk pork? Curry. Yeah. Haitians don't have any food at all. Well, I know they're not doing too well, but, I mean, they must have some food to reproduce like that. No, but seriously, we've got the different ethnic groups. We all know about the Cubans, and there's some people love Cubans, some people hate Cubans. I love kind of like, uh, you know, the young Cubans I love a lot, the ones that listen to the show, the guys. And uh, and then we got, of course, our American, uh, well, we don't know what to call them anymore, just regular, plain old black folks, African-American, which I hate that, just just black guys, women, whatever which they're okay as long as they stay put. And, uh, and of course, the Haitians, which, uh, we, like you said, they haven't got two nickels to rub together, and they're busy sewing the baseballs, which is good. That's something very productive. We like that. And they don't seem to bother anybody as long as they mind their own business and stay out of their neighborhood. And that leaves the Jamaicans, who seem to be the, the question mark ethnic group in South Florida. And today I think we're going to find a lot more out about the Jamaicans. Yeah, man. Like that lady. Right. In fact, huh? They're not on welfare. They have jobs. They go to work. What do you mean they're not on welfare? Is the Are you suggesting that there are others who are on welfare and don't have jobs? Is that what you'd be suggesting? Yeah, like Americans, black, white, and miscellaneous. And Cubans, Cuban-Americans. No, Cubans are not on welfare. There are no Cubans on welfare? Most are ineligible anyway, like myself oh, and my family. Oh, thank God for that. Thank God. No, I was thinking like Marielitos. They never got any food stamps or stuff when they came over here or a driver's license right away when That's they got possible. off the banana boat? That's different because ah, they're illegal. Marielito. But they're probably not either. What do you mean that they're was illegal? Working. Well, that was not illegal. I'm not talking about the ones that came in illegally. I'm talking about the ones Governor Graham welcomed with open arms, standing down there on the shores. So Bob Barker was standing right there next to him, saying, I mean, "Come on it, down and be sure uh... to get your uh, children spayed and neutered." But I guess they weren't listening. Okay, anyway, let's do uh, Miramar. Hello, Miramar. Oh, God, Neil. Yes. I got a question. If that dead, born again Christian bitch, yeah, believe that heaven was like the ultimate reward, and it was so much better than life on earth. Yeah. Why'd she try to save her own life? Oh, because they, the the excuse they were given yesterday was, well, well, she's got so much to contribute, and she still has so much work to do here. <laughs> uh, she well, won't be doing no more work here, boys. No! She's dead. Here's a good idea. Why don't all the bitch. Christians who want to be in heaven run around pickaxes, kill each other, the son, the ones that they're killing, heaven where they want to be, all and right. then they'll get the, the electric chair or the needle or whatever, right. and they'll be there, too. Sounds good to me. And you can start with O.J. and Johnny Cochran. Excellent. Have a good one. Okay, Here's thank you. request real quick? <laughs> <laughs> what is the question? The question was about Jamaicans, but this guy's too worried about frying born-again Christians. Not a bad idea. What the hell's wrong with that? 
See, the, the arrogance, that, that thing in Texas was a classic example of the arrogance of most religious groups, not just born-again Christians or Catholics or Jews or Orthodox, whatever, but all religious groups think that because their stuff don't stink and their God is the right one, therefore we bend the rules for us. Even though she was convicted in a court of law, she killed these two people with a pickaxe, and uh, we already know, well, she was on drugs, she's got this excuse, but she found Jesus, and she's born again. And therefore, because of that, then we should make an exception. The law doesn't really count, which, of course, proves that a lot of born-again Christians think that they're above the law, like the ones who are busy bombing abortion clinics in Birmingham and elsewhere, etc., and so on, and in Tallahassee and Pensacola. God's law. Right, God's law. law. That's right. God's law is above all the rest. And Cal Thomas knows God's law. Just read the uh, Sun Sentinel uh, letters to the editor this morning. Because the, the born-agains, they know what morality is, and you damn well better listen to them. Because their definition of morality is what everybody else is going to do. It's good enough for the president. It's good enough for me. Here's uh, Fort Lauderdale. Hello. Hey, hey Neil. Yes, sir. 28-year-old 20 circumcised Jew here. And All I right. Put, I want to put my vote in for the Jamaicans. Okay. I love them. My we neighbors. do love the Jamaicans. We want them to understand that. Yes. Especially my, the ones in our neighborhood here. Hey, they're my, I have some neighbors that are Jamaicans, and they are wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And they don't smoke ganja. Yeah. We just want them to play their soccer at a more convenient time for all the rest of us. Hey, now, is Florida Panther hockey any better than Jamaican soccer right now? Yes. It is. Yes, it is. Oh, I don't know. Maybe Ray Florida Pan, any any hockey, shinny hockey would be better than any kind of soccer, sir. Soccer is terminal, and there is no case to be made for it. They're I don't care if there are three billion split. people all over the world sitting right now tearing each other's hair out over their soccer jerseys. Soccer is terminal. But make you, no mistake about it. But not after a couple of nice Jamaican doobies. Yeah, right. right. Well, that goes to show you. That's all you need. Maybe for if it. they'd open up a weed concession at the arena, we'd enjoy the hockey games more. Hey, I'd run it. Okay. I'm the first. I'm the man for that job. You're hired. All right, everybody in Radio Baghdad, you're douchebag. Okay, and put your yarmulke away. Have a good one. Get out of here. And your titsis too. So now, in the middle of the show, after getting into a big song and a dance with our Jamaican friends, now Greg Reed says, "Oh, it's a great show, but guess what? We're right in the middle of Little Jamaica here, man. And by the way, I'm leaving for the day," said Greg Reed. No doubt, he's on his way out. I mean, today. Here's a mobile in Pembroke Pines. Hello. Hey, I'm on. You're on. Oh, hey, I've got no material, but I have a burning question. Yeah. Where and when did you get that that uh, that copy or that uh, or manage saying I want to bang you in the butt? You know something, um, Robert, who's one of our board ops at the uh, station, a fine American, brought it in. He brought in a tape that had all this stuff in, and I've been wondering that myself. I wonder the context. I keep asking myself what conversation was going on on the air when yeah, Manage exactly. said, "I want to bang you in the butt, honey." And George evidently locker has, room interview. It was a locker room interview. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. I bet it was with Danny Boy, is what I heard. That's rich. Well, thanks, Paul, Neil. Okay, pal. See you later. In fact, it was he was talking to Josh Friedman when he said, "Oh my God, your breasts are beautiful." That was my favorite conversation. No, seriously, stop and think about this. This was on the air on this station, and Mandich, in the middle of the conversation, blurts out, "I want to bang you in the butt, honey." Now, do I rest my case? Do I have to prove to you that he's uh, one of the most entertaining people in America? Right there, I rest my cases. Here's West Palm Beach. Hello. Yeah, Neil. Um, this is Brian. Um, listen. You're a genius, you know that? Yeah, I know that. You, 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 last night when you were probably home, you were just thinking, what am I going to do to boost my little pathetic show? Yeah. You, you probably... My pathetic, you say, my hey, pathetic I'm, show I'm, that, I'm my pathetic show that the guy who's on the phone now listens to every day, right? Pardon me? I said my pathetic show that you listen to every day. No, no, but don't, don't cut me off. No, no, just, just, just a minute. I'm not cutting you off, but I'm having a conversation. Why do you, why do some of you people just like you've got blinders on? Like you can't hear what I'm saying to you. You listen to the show every day. Why don't you admit no, that actually, and then we'll continue? I don't listen to the show every day. I'm a Jamaican. You're what? I'm a Jamaican. What does that have to do with it? Well, the, what, what it has to do with it is that you, you So how like, do you know, how do you know about the show if you don't listen to it? Well, 
I've, I've been uh, flip, my, flipping channels. And, um, you've been flipping it. You sound like you sound like you've been flipping it. Anyway, what I want to say. What yeah, what did you want to say, was, sir? What I wanted to say was. What um, did you want to say? How many times are you going to repeat that? What did you want to say? I want to say that jerk chicken and jerk pork is a seasoned um, meat, unlike uh, the restaurant that you go to where you have to dump all your salt and your black pepper um, to get a taste. Uh, we, 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 we serenade our meat and we, um, we, we seasoned it to perfection. Yeah. And, uh, and, and? That's, what I, that's what I want to say. Uh, what does that have to do with the price of peanuts? What does that mean? <laughs> Sir, I have a suggestion for you. Are you listening? Sir? Yeah, okay. I was going to tell him to jerk pork, but I think he already is. I serenade my meat. Yeah, man. Oh, my I think God. Good back rack and he it. never, my pathetic show, I'm going to goose up my rain. Like, I, I invented this massive crowd that we had on the roads last night, and I was just salivating. I was just sitting there foaming at the mouth. Oh, this is going to make great material tomorrow. Right. The stress level on a scale of one was, was uh, infinity, okay? That's how bad it was. Just praying that maybe eventually, sometime before next sukkahs, we might wind up at the arena and get to see the damn hockey game. But I just invented it, and I just am an evil person who uh, may occasionally jerk pork. Now back to the best of you on 560 QAM. Salespeople are ice holes. I want to start the month of February and this week with something that I rarely, rarely, if ever do, and that is apologize to a sales hole. Because I've been saying since I came on here, and again, I don't, you know, I'm brand new on this station. I don't know a lot of these people. I don't know the different personalities, the different psychoses, etc., so everybody's telling me that Gary Sarner is an asshole, and of course he gets fired, and then a week later they hire him back. And now I'm beginning to understand why. Gary Sarner, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, is the sports sales manager, right? Was. Oops. Used to be. Well, at any rate, he was involved in selling the, the ball games, the Dolphins, the Marlins, the Panthers, whatever, the sports stuff. Now, it seems to me, and again, I don't know because I'm certainly not privy to any uh, numbers or any real inside information, but it seems to me that when you listen to the sports events on this station, that there's a lot of advertising. In fact, when a game is over, like a Panther game, I mean, on and on, which is fine. you got to get those spots in there, make some bucks. Great. But the fact that we've got, what, 42 sales managers here, it indicates to me that maybe Gary, now he is hung like a mosquito. That part I do not retract because we've talked to guys who have showered with him, and yes, they do have communal showers here. Roy Foster was telling me about that last week. He said, just like being with the Dolphins, you shower the salespeople. And I said, Lou Ann's not involved in that, is she? Well, maybe that's why Linda Doyle left. She couldn't, she couldn't handle the heat anymore, so to speak. <laughs> Those communal sales showers. Well, if you're going to be a sports station, you've got to have that kind of sports ambiance. So at any rate, uh, they have told me that Gary Sarner is hung like a gnat, okay? So I don't take that back. But he may not be an asshole. Because at least, maybe he's an asshole that at least gets his job done. So I've been thinking over the weekend because Friday something happened to me driving home that just I've been I've been thinking about this a lot because I've heard a lot of people bellyaching about there's no spots there's no this and then that reading book came out about two weeks ago and this station just went through the roof went through the roof Hank is sitting there with a 7.3 share in men in the afternoon number one by a country mile the morning show giant share in men and I keep hearing people saying well this is no spots radio we've gone from all spots radio to no spots radio. And I see somebody like Linda Doyle, who's a sweetheart and a very, very astute sales hole and a very uh, conscientious person. I see her bailing out of here. And I'm saying to myself, something is wrong here. So Friday I'm driving home and I'm listening to Hank. And we come to a break. Finally, at long last, we come to a break. And now I hear, da-da-da-da-da. And it's that god-awful, muddy-sounding, distorted PSA that they were playing here on this show the first couple of days when we had almost no spots. 
and I'm thinking to myself, afternoon, uh, you know, get this picture. Afternoon drive, Friday afternoon, top-rated show, and they're playing PSAs. And Hank don't even have time to go take a leak or maybe a whatever he had to go take there at the golf tournament because there's no spots. And it suddenly dawned on me, thinking long and hard about it this weekend, that Luann is the asshole up in sales. And, of course, you probably don't know Luann, but maybe we'll get to know her better. Maybe we'll make her into a celebrity. Because it seems to me that there's something missing here because the people who are responsible for selling 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. other than ball games, they're the ones who evidently, even if we had a 40 share, they couldn't sell you a glass of water to a starving Arab for like uh, one ruple, whatever the hell the Arabs have got. What do the Arabs have besides B.O.? Now, what kind of uh, dinero do they use in, uh, huh? Good question. See, even you, Mr. Smarty Pants, don't know the denomination of the uh, things that they use over there. The Russians have got their ruples, the Dutch have got their uh, guilders, the Italians have got their lira. What do, they, what do the Arabs have besides a militant anti-Semitic attitude which is self-hating because they're Semites anyway? Y'all started it. Yeah, we did, and we're proud of it. So at any rate, I'm beginning to understand that maybe Luann is the asshole upstairs in sales because there seems to be like a little bit of a problem here. And we have sales managers quitting every week and coming back every week, and there seems to be nothing but absolute chaos up there, up there meaning upstairs on the third floor here at the uh, Power 96 complex. Now, if I were involved upstairs, dinar. which I'm not, what is it? Dinar. Dinar. No, it's not time even for lunch yet, much less dinar. Rials. We're getting a whole bunch of stuff. We don't really care, to be honest with you, okay? It was just, it was just a little uh, thought there. Because I backed myself into a corner, and I didn't know fill in the blank. Whatever kind of money that those barbarians use, that was the point. She couldn't sell them a glass of water. She couldn't give it away for free, and the uh, water either, okay, is what I'm hearing. Well, maybe not that part. Because there's something seriously wrong here. That fucking bitch. Which is maybe why, you know, the Beasleys are a little tight with their money, while we still got that muddy-sounding cart machine over there, <laughs> like that which I thought they had that soft, and then George was telling me the story about the production studios over there, and Duff is wringing his hands and wondering what the hell it's all about. Of course, he's always been wondering what it's about since he came here. And Luann, we're not going to be able to straighten her ass out. I think she's, uh, maybe she'd better take a demotion. That seems to work very well. Look how much Gary Sarner has straightened himself out. Oh, he hasn't? Well, like I said, Luann, it's been nice knowing you, sweetheart, but uh, get with it already, will you? I mean, this sales department, I thought you were, I thought that all those months that you were working in production, when I was in limbo, having a great time, I thought you were exaggerating. I thought you were joking. And then I came over here, and we have like a lot of our own spots, which most of them we brought with us. But other than that, I'm telling you, if they took all the trade-outs, God only knows what this place is getting on these trade-outs. But if they took all the trade-outs off the log on this radio station, we'd have to have a tank of oxygen for each show just so we could continue talking that long without any interruptions. It is absolutely unbelievable, beyond a shadow of a doubt. So somebody somewhere must be living out high off the hog, I'll tell you that, because they got trade-outs for everything in this joint. Couldn't we trade out a couple of cart machines? Oh, I'm sorry, that has to do with radio. We don't want to do that. Couldn't we possibly do that? Could we trade out like something that might benefit the, the radio station? We don't want to do that. Greg's got his car, and this one's got this, and this one's got a few cruises on the side. and Yeah, we got a lot of incestuous stuff going on here. Too bad we didn't hire Steve Nickel to be PD. Then we wouldn't have had to have it. We could have really operated a sheep operation. There would have been no programs, just spots all day. I'd have brought my shopping cart. <laughs> oh, oh, man. 
It, it's just shocking to me to see. I mean, how it, you, you can talk about rating successes only to a certain point, but you can only get a certain share of the audience. And at that point, if you still don't have people that can go out and sell it and make a make a, a profit, then you got a real serious problem. Which is why the radio vultures in this market are circling over on this gray, dank, rainy, windy, nasty, horrendous, grotesque day on which the turnpike was an absolute nightmare this morning northbound. Which, thank God, I was going southbound. And all you rubberneckers, by the way, you're a bunch of assholes as usual. But on this day, you can look up there, even in the middle of the murk and the mung in the sky, you can see the vultures swirling around right over this building, and I'm sure over on Sheridan Street, just waiting for this operation to go belly up so they can come swooping in and add it to their collection. Because that's now what it is in radio, as you know. And I told you this a couple of years ago when they started this insanity at the FCC, and they let everybody gobble up uh, the radio stations, a few companies. It's like collecting, it's like collecting baseball cards. We collect radio stations and TV stations. And unless somebody gets their ass in gear upstairs, you know, when you have people that are telling you that they've been owed money for eight months or nine months, when you're hearing about these cart machines so that the spots and promos on there, see, I have to wonder about some of these other people that work at this joint. There's such a thing as pride. I mean, granted, not everybody's got the same kind of clout can open up a big mouth, but how long can you just keep coming in and working for a goddamn paycheck and not say, hey, you know what, this sounds like crap. Am I right? How long can you just fumble your way through life without demanding just a little bit of excellence? Maybe not a lot of excellence, but just a little goddamn bit, guys. Bunch of wimps. They're the sports guys. They're a bunch of wimps. Like Al Goldstein said, a bunch of faggots. That's a gay club, you moron. Right on, Al. And quit eating so much. Which I could talk a lot about that, too, about the eating business. The eating business. About everybody you know, like uh, presenting you with food. Putting food in front of your face. I guarantee, I predict right now I'll never see the first of March if this if the food thing doesn't stop. And by the way, Ma, no lunch tomorrow, sweetheart. Yeah, the food thing has got to stop or I'm going to be dead. And yes, Howard Kleinberg, I did buy a bag of M&Ms at the arena at the hockey game on the uh, Tampa game Saturday. And you want to know why I bought a bag of M&Ms? Besides you're weak. Besides being weak and hungry. Three o'clock game, okay? So I didn't really eat a lunch, which was a mistake. We get there. And I get a weenie. They don't have the Polish sausage anymore, which stunk and smelled real bad. But they have weenies that stink and smell real bad. Like maybe they once had foreskin real recently and they weren't washed off. Maybe there's a little pecorino in that uh, in that weenie. How come it is that at the stadium at PP Park, a lot of the food, not all of it, but a lot of the food is pretty damn good. And in the last few years, they've had all kinds of stuff. They not only have the Arepa Queen over there, but they got burgers and they got all kinds of uh, deli sandwiches and they got uh, all kinds of stuff over there. But at the Miami Arena, I'm going to tell you, and I don't think that uh, we can blame this one on Baldy there. I don't think he has any control over it. I think it's Mickey Arison and those bastards who must have some kind of incestuous deal with some kind of grotesque food uh, concessionaire or whatever they call them. The food in the Miami Arena is unfit for human consumption. And ordinarily, I have my uh, diet soda, and that's it. That's my. That's the extent of my uh, imbibing at the Miami Arena is a diet soda. That's as, as dangerous as I'll get. And I'm going to tell you that that wiener that they put on that, I'm going to tell you something that if anybody ever would eat one intentionally again, they must be desperate. And the same starving Arab in the desert who wouldn't buy the glass of water from Luann upstairs would definitely not eat that wiener, even if it were kosher. I'll guarantee you that right now. The views expressed on the previous programs are those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not reflect those of the Beasley Broadcast Group, its staff, advertisers, or agencies.